Welcome to the Wealth and Purpose Podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to creating wealth in a way that feels really good and live their purpose fully in the process. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive business coach. I'm also a wife, a mom to two preteens, a professor, Girl Scout leader, and well, hey, you get it. Like you, I wear a lot of hats. Whether you're looking for inspiration to get started or strategies to get growing, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. Today's guest is someone that is so dear to my heart because of what she's doing in the world that I am honored just to have her on this podcast. Scarlett Lewis is our guest today. And you may know Scarlett in one fashion, but by the end of this interview, what I want you to take away from this is the inspiration to take whatever is going on in your life and to make an impact in the world. So Scarlett is the mother of Jesse Lewis, who was killed in his first grade classroom during the tragedy of Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14, 2012. And we're just coming up on the anniversary, which is why I asked Scarlett to join us. I had the privilege of meeting Scarlett when I was speaking at an event that she was honored at. And I've since had the chance to get to know her and what she has been able to do with her pain and with what has happened in her personal life and then turn it into something incredibly important in the world is an inspiration to me every day. There have been so many times where I've hit these dark spots and I think about Scarlett and I think if she can be doing what she's doing, I've got no excuses. She founded the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation And her mission is really to bring social and emotional learning to the world, starting with our children. So Scarlett, welcome. I'm so honored to have you here. Thank you so much, Patty. Thank you for helping me spread the message. Oh, girl, you know I'm doing that because I love what you're doing. Thank you. So I want you to, you know, I think most people know your story with Jesse, but maybe you could just share a little bit about it in case they didn't hear it. They're one of the few people that haven't heard it. So they understand, you know, where this mission came from. Sure. Uh, So my six-year-old son was murdered at Sandy Hook Elementary School um, now almost six years ago. So he would have been uh, now gone as long as he was alive. And following that event, actually the first time I came home, I found a message that he had written on our kitchen chalkboard. He had written at six years old, three words, nurturing, healing, love. Of course, that's not something a six-year-old would normally say. The words were phonetically spelled because he was in first grade and just learning to write. But I knew instantly that if the shooter in our case, and in most cases, by the way, could have been able to give and receive nurturing, healing, love, and really by that, I mean, have healthy relationships, meaningful connections, be resilient, manage their emotions. These are all skills and tools we have to learn. Then the tragedy would never have happened. And so I just decided to dedicate my life to being part of the solution you know, the things that are happening in our schools that then translate out into our society 
are preventable <laughs> and, and there, there's a way to do it. And so that's what I've dedicated my life to. And I literally spend uh, every day working on and traveling all over the United States and, uh, and planet because this, uh, this type of learning is actually for everyone. I mean, we're all connected as human beings by the want and need to love and be loved. In that way, we're all the same. We all have that within us, regardless of how old we are, where we live on the planet, what language we speak, what religion we practice or non-religion. We are exactly all the same in the want and need to love and be loved. And, you know, right now, this is such an important conversation because everyone's thinking about safety and health and well-being. And frankly, from, from what I hear, feeling uh, anxious about it. And the opposite of anxiety is action. And I wanted to create a space where everyone could come together. I, I watched the polarization after uh, the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting of our country with people having so much anger, um, seemingly every side coming from anger. And I knew that that wasn't going to solve the problem. Um, I knew that only love could transcend that. And that's what we all want and need. And that was actually the cause of the shooting in the first place. So the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement is a way for us all to come together to be part of the solution. So I know you're taking a lot of action to make this happen. And you know, there's just so many questions that I want, you know, so many questions I've heard you answer before, but I think are so important for people who haven't had the pleasure of knowing you the way I've known you. And um, I want to talk more about what you're doing inside the foundation with the work and with the movement. But I, where I want to go first is what needed to happen inside of you to be able to experience the level of pain you experienced and turn it into something so good? That's a really great question. A big part of my journey is about forgiveness. And I, I didn't know a lot about forgiveness, I'll be perfectly honest, um, before I started. I have a deep faith. I, I had heard about forgiveness, of course, but I certainly didn't really understand what it meant how to put it into practice in my own life in a really deep and meaningful way and what the benefits were going to be to me. And so I have learned all this. In fact, this is a, this is a big component of our program because we've got so much scientific research behind forgiveness now. And uh, in fact, Harvard University did a 75-year longitudinal study and they found the secret to happiness is forgiveness. And that's something else we all have in common. You know, really, I knew instinctively following the shooting that someone that could have done something so heinous. Now, now the shooter was a former student of Sandy Hook Elementary School. His mother had taught there. And I, I knew that he must have been in a tremendous amount of pain. And when I started learning about his life. And, and by the way, it wasn't even that I went out and, and tried to do that. I would meet now young adults that had been to school with him that told me uh, about the horrific bullying 
that he had experienced and the neglect. Adam had special needs and he, you know, he really did everything a boy is supposed to do. He waved huge red flags. He cried out for help. And somehow he slipped through the cracks at every turn. He was never provided the the help that he needed, that he wanted, and that he asked for, and his mother was trying to get for him. And so honestly, honestly, it's easier for me to be angry for him than it is to be angry at him. And this was a big part of my forgiving journey, just really humanizing him. And, and, And a big lesson, by the way, that I've learned over the past six years is that there are really only two kinds of people in this world. There are good people and there are good people in pain. And, and that's actually a positive statement because there's always something that we can do to help ease another's pain. So bottom line, what I learned about forgiveness is that it doesn't mean, and by the way, we have, we have, we are so, when, when people heard that I wanted to put forgiveness in my program, I just think this is kind of funny. Uh, they said, wow, that's kind of lofty for kids, isn't it? And you know, what's really funny. It's lofty for us. We don't understand it. We don't know how to do it. I've, I've gotten into arguments with my family and not spoken for three months over the definition of forgiveness. I mean, could I make that up? So what I've, what I've come to find out through just a, a, an incredible personal experience and really soul searching for the true meaning of forgiveness is that it doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean condoning. Um, It's not a gift that you give the other person. It's a gift that you give yourself. In fact, my new and improved definition is simply taking your personal power back. You're refusing to give the person who hurt you control over your thoughts that impact your feelings, that then impact your behavior. You are cutting the cord that attaches you to pain and you are moving forward. You're taking control back over your life. And And in some instances, forgiveness is the only way to do that. But I think that it's very overlooked and, uh, and I've, I've really delved into it and I'm thankful that I did. Oh, that's so beautiful, Scarlett. And you live it. Like I, I can tell you for those of you listening, I, I know this woman, she lives it. Everything she says is just her and her being. And you experience it when you're physically in the space she occupies. So Scarlett, you have another son and who is clearly dealing with an, a wave of emotions you never expected to manage as a mother. What was it like to be going on this journey of forgiveness for yourself and then being a mother to a child who is in so much pain as well? You know, that's a really great question because when I talk about social and emotional skills, tools, and attitudes. Um, These are 21st century skills that are really important to parenting as well. And these, these skills, by the way, have to be taught. They're not, they don't come innate within us. There is no social and emotional intelligence gene, unfortunately. Um, So when we found ourselves in this position, I knew that I didn't have the skills and tools to, to help JT. What I did know right away, however, and it's probably 
through my previous practice of, of presence. I mean, I, when I had my boys, um, I was a single mom. Uh, I was the only single mom of the uh, Sandy Hook uh, um, victims' parents. And I always, but I always practice being present with my boys. So that means I was there with them, looking them in the eyes, touching them, hugging them, not worried about, I mean, as much as humanly possible, (laughs) I tried to not be concerned about what happened in the past, to not be worried about the future, but really, really to be present with my boys. In fact, we didn't have a TV because I, when I came home from work, I didn't want to compete with the TV. I just wanted to spend as much time as possible with my boys. And I have to tell you, I, I really think that the key to having the fewest regrets in your life is being present with the ones that you love, not, not on your phone. I'll go out, I'll go out to dinner now and I'll see this beautiful family of four, these two sweet kids, two parents, obviously a beautiful family. Everyone's on their devices. <laughs> I want to go up to them and say, you have your precious children right in front of you. You could be looking them in the eyes and asking them questions and learning from them, wiring, rewiring your own brain and their brains through interaction and connection at what I wouldn't give to do that. So really that is the key to having the fewest regrets because I I don't have a lot of regrets about the time that I spent with my boys because I was, I was present or as, 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 present as I could possibly be with having that awareness. And um, so I think that, but what, but what I did understand, I think through that practice um, and this happened actually right away, even before we knew Jesse was uh, dead uh, at the firehouse where we all congregated as victims, parents while waiting to hear the fate of our children. These were the children that were, in quotation marks, missing that day. JT, I was in seventh grade. He was in a nearby school. He asked if he could come and wait because, of course, everybody knows everything that's going on because everyone has cell phones. And I said, of course, you know, you come over to the school and wait with me because when they find Jesse, you know, he'll want his big brother here and we'll probably go out to dinner and you know the things that go through your head because, because what happened to me in, you know, for everybody that's listening, it's an impossibility. This doesn't happen to people like us. This happens to people who are on the cover of people until you're on the cover of people magazine. So JT comes to the firehouse and I'm, what I'm realizing is that you know, as the police are coming up and asking me questions like, did Jesse have any identifying marks on his body? Uh, did, what, was the, what was the last thing that Jesse wore? Do you remember his outfit? You know, and I'm thinking this isn't looking good. And, uh, and I, I'm realizing at that moment, JT, who was 12 years old at the time, he is watching every move I make. It's not going to matter what I say to him. He's watching me in action right now. Every reaction I make, every gesture, glance, comment, thought, he's watching. And this is going to determine how he handles trauma, but not just, not just big things, even little things for the rest of his life. And I realized right then and there, I'm going to have to model for JT what going through this experience in a positive and healthy way looks like so that he can do it. (laughs) And you know what? 
it was so incredibly helpful to me. Thank goodness I had that understanding and awareness because it helped me. It helped me be strong. It helped me make the right decisions. Um, it, it helped me uh, have the courage to to do the right things then and there. And and I do want to say a little something about courage because, first of all, little did I know six years ago uh, that part of my job, I, I honestly thought, well, my job is going to be just making sure that every child has access to what we know through decades of research is in their best interest. It's called social emotional learning. I've described it earlier. And we know through uh, scientific research and the latest neuroscience that it reduces anxiety, suicide, depression, behavioral issues, bullying, while increasing grades, test scores, attendance, and graduation rates. And we, we even have kids now that have graduated and got on to be adults. They have less substance abuse less mental illness of all kinds, less uh, anger and violence, less incarceration, even less divorce rates. Like we know that this is what we should be doing for our kids. And I thought, well, okay, so my job is uh, I was put on earth to make sure that people understand the essential value of social emotional learning. And I'm going to create a program that transcends all the barriers to get it into schools. And uh, I'm just going to give it away. But little did I know that part of my job also was going to be to cultivate the courage that it would take to do the right thing, to transcend our being comfortably uncomfortable in continuing to do what is statistically ineffective, to step outside of our comfort zone. And I have to tell you that my, my example of courage is both of my boys Jesse on that day actually um, stood up to the shooter when he came into the room. Uh, the shooter's gun ran out of bullets and Jesse called for his classmates to run. And they said it's because he told them to run that they ran and he was able to save nine lives um, before losing his own. And, uh, and JT, you know, JT actually um, started an organization called Newtown Helps Rwanda when he was 12 years old. And for the past six years has been really healing himself by practicing compassion in action, by doing for others. And when you look at the science behind that, it's incredible. It's more powerful than any pharmaceutical you could take for healing from trauma and probably anything. It's, uh, it's incredibly powerful. He's now a freshman at UConn and doing really well. I'm very thankful for that, but he's, he's literally healed himself and we've been on this journey together. Wow. That's it. JT is an amazing, amazing, I want to say kid, but I guess he's a man now. He's a young man. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think it's, it's an amazing story how he ended up getting involved with the Rwandan students. Can you just just very, um, for a short time, just tell the listeners about that, because I'm not sure how many people do understand the relationship there and how their trauma, the Rwandan students that he helped, how their trauma affected his journey and your journey to healing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing because, you know, obviously after the tragedy, he didn't want to go back to school. And I actually, I felt relief when he said he didn't want to go back because 
I had sent one kid to school and they didn't come home. I, I didn't want to send my only remaining son. We actually hadn't heard from the school. And uh, I really didn't know how we were going to, I didn't know how we were going to move forward. And uh, we had uh, orphan genocide survivors from Rwanda reach out to JT. This is uh, via live Skype. And so he's picture JT sitting in his bedroom in front of a computer screen with an interpreter uh, on their end. And they literally said, JT, we heard about what happened to your little brother all the way over here in Rwanda. And, and we're so sorry. We want you to know you're going to be okay. And you're going to feel joy again. We want to share our story with you and, and uh, tell you how we overcame our personal tragedy. And of course, in Rwanda in 1994, there was a genocide where over 1 million Tutsis were murdered by their neighboring Hutus within 100 days. And these were actually now young adults, but they had been eight years old when they witnessed their entire families murdered in front of them. So horrific circumstances. And I'm standing behind JT thinking, oh my gosh, these guys have credibility. Unlike any other person that's come through my living room saying, you know, time heals all wounds. These guys know. And, uh, and so um, amazingly, their path to healing was, uh, and I didn't realize it until later, this same um, kind of formula for choosing love, I call it, that Jesse had left on our kitchen chalkboard, that nurturing healing love actually translates into a neuroscientifically accurate formula for choosing love in any situation or circumstance. And, and that's what they did. They, um, when they got to safety, they felt gratitude for, uh, for the kindness uh, and for the little amount of food they were getting. Nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. And then uh, that actually neuroscientifically strengthened them to realize they had to forgive who they called the killers, or they might go down the same path of anger and destruction that they had. And healing, uh, the healing in Jesse's message literally, literally means forgiveness. And then um, they found meaning in their suffering by using their story to help other people like they were doing with Jesse. And love uh, in Jesse's message is compassion in action. There's an empathetic identifying component to pain. And then there's the action component, actively doing something to help ease that pain. And that's what they were doing with JT. And, uh, and when you have the courage to practice each of those three character values, you're choosing love. And uh, that's what they were doing. And JT actually turned around and went back to school himself the next day and started an organization called Newtown Helps Rwanda. Dot org, and he started raising money to send those orphan genocide survivors to university. And in the last six years, I didn't know how long it would last. And it's still going. Uh, in the last six years, he sent two orphan genocide survivors to university for, uh, uh, and then um, he's uh, built self-sustaining fish ponds for former children soldiers in Uganda. He's built a poultry operation. That's his most recent thing. He's helped countless severely traumatized kids in the United States. And, uh, and the interesting thing about all of this and this whole story is that JT is healing himself by helping others. And I am watching this and 
realizing that this is more powerful than any pharmaceutical <laughs> and, and this is healing like a, a, a significant event, a significant trauma. He's healing himself by helping others. And it's truly incredible to watch. And, and it's an incredible lesson for all of us. I'm speechless. It is. I mean, I've heard this story and I just, every time it just, um, it puts me in awe. My, my son is now 13. So he's just the age that JT was when he started on this journey. And just to think about that is just mind boggling to me. And, you know, it's a testament to the two of you and also to your whole mission of what it really means to engage yourself at this level of full healing. So talk about what you're doing with the movement now. I know a big piece of what you're doing is to affect change in the policies that our local governments are enacting, or at least at the state level. Can you talk a little bit about that? Honestly, I have to say that's how I started out. And I didn't get very far in enacting policies. And what I realized is that these issues that we're experiencing, that we experienced, by the way, Patty, when we went to school, and now they're just at epidemic levels. For instance, we have a mental health epidemic where 49.5% of our U.S. youth will have, a, will have had a diagnosable mental illness by the time they're 18. The majority of that diagnosis is anxiety. The average onset age for anxiety in our country is six years old. And we know that the majority of them, 70%, will not get professional help, so they suffer alone. And when you look at the long-term outcomes of untreated anxiety, they're exactly what we're experiencing in our schools and in our society, exactly. We know we have a loneliness epidemic where over half of Americans are reporting that they're lonely. We know bullying has increased. We know we've had twice as many students kill students in their classrooms as we've had military die in active combat this year, completely unacceptable. We know substance abuse is skyrocketing, more deaths from overdoses than ever before in the history of mankind. And this is despite state mandated substance abuse awareness programs that every child has to go through. I mean, we have issues uh, we have su more suicides in the U.S. than murders. I mean, it's not like we're not aware of these things. Uh, it's not like we haven't tried to address them in the past. Just what we've been doing isn't effective. And uh, we know that social emotional learning proactively reduces and prevents all of that. And so I kind of moved from spending my effort where my wheels were spinning, and that was politically because by the way, these aren't issues. These aren't political issues <laughs> I'm talking about. These are issues of the heart. And it's really not going to take policies to, uh, that address, that policies don't address the cause of all of this. Um, it's going to take all of us taking mm -hmm. responsibility for what's going on with our kids and in our society and being part of the solution. So I've really just mainly focused my efforts on the Choose Love Enrichment Program and all of our wonderful programming that we've created that actually does address the cause of all of these issues. And by the way, is a really big part of school safety. You know, everybody's thinking about school safety. And traditionally, when we think about that, we think about external safety measures, which are active shooter protocol, door locks. Uh, single point entries, 
arming, not arming school resource officers. Uh, and by the way, uh, Sandy Hook Elementary had all of that. The problem with just external safety measures is that they don't address the cause of why someone would want to come in and harm themselves or someone else. And really, the only thing that does that is social emotional learning. Kids that are connected, kids that are resilient from the issues we know they're going to face in life, kids that can manage their emotions, they're not going to want to harm one another. Um, that makes just common sense, but there's also research to back that up. So um, we've started the dialogue that social emotional learning is a big part of school safety. You've got the external safety measures, and then you have social emotional learning, which actually cultivates safety from the inside out. And, uh, you know, we have the new Stop School Violence Act in Washington, D.C. This is a, a federal act that gives states money to get their schools to be safer. And every state right now is working on their statewide school safety initiative. I have to give a big shout out to Governor Sununu of New Hampshire. He is the first governor to release his statewide school safety initiative. He did this way back in July. No one else has followed suit yet. And he actually focused on social emotional learning and is using our program as the backbone of support of his uh, initiative. And, uh, and so, you know, it's rare that you run across courageous leaders, honestly, that uh, just do the right thing <laughs> without having to talk too much about it, without having to hem and haw, without having to have too much, uh, too much external noise. And Governor Sununu is, is one of those courageous leaders. It's been beautiful working with him. And uh, he's doing such an incredible job in his state. And I'm hoping that other people, you know, he's, a, he's the courageous first. And I'm hope that, hoping that other people follow suit because it's the right thing to do. Oh, well, yes, I give him equal shout outs. You're the one that's educated me on the fact that he has done this. And when you, because I know our listeners are thinking, you know, this is important. Is there something you would want them doing in their local school districts? Or is there a way to help bring the work you're doing um, from a grassroots level into our individual schools? Is there something we should be doing to, to ask for this? Absolutely. Knowing what I know now, I would do two things right off the bat. I would go to my school and I would ask if they have a comprehensive social emotional learning program that's taught with fidelity. That means that there's good buy-in and that it's throughout the school. And, uh, and I, would, I would get an answer to that, by the way. And, uh, and then I would go on safeandsoundschools.org. That's another two moms from Sandy Hook. And they have the top school safety experts in the world on their board of directors. And they have free resources on their website. And you could just read up a little bit on school safety. I, you know, I, I say I have very few regrets. That's a regret that I have. I, I wish that I had known to do those two things. Uh, and that's what I tell everyone to do. And, you know, if your school doesn't have a social emotional learning program or you don't really get an answer, um, we have. A, um, a program that is on our website. It's, uh, it's an ambassador program. And you can literally go on our website and download like samples of emails and letters and information and downloadables 
there's even training if you want to learn more about our program. And you can literally physically or electronically send these to the school and say, hey, you know, I was listening to this podcast. I heard about this program and I'd like for you to consider it because really every school should have a a social emotional learning program. In fact, there's a report that came out of Sandy Hook Elementary School's tragedy. It was called the Sandy Hook Advisory Commission Report. And this commission um, was uh, responsible for finding out how something like Sandy Hook could happen and what we could do to make sure it doesn't happen again. They took two years and they had unprecedented access to everything Sandy Hook. And they came up with three things in no particular order. They came up with gun safety, more access to mental health, and social emotional learning. In fact, the report says every admonishes schools to have a comprehensive social and emotional learning program that is year-long, pre-K through 12th grade, that's taught with fidelity for school safety. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, I've seen movement in the last six years. Um, six years ago when I started, um, I was literally, for the most part, kind of teaching about social emotional learning and what it was. Now, for the most part, everyone's heard about social emotional learning. And if they haven't adopted it and implemented it, they know that they should. And so, um, you know, I really won't stop until every child uh, on the planet and every individual, by the way, has access to uh, to this incredible um, these life skills. Um, and I can tell you, for one thing, they have to be taught. And if you didn't learn them at home and or in the classroom, you don't necessarily have these skills and tools. And I can say that because when I started learning about it, doing my research to be part of the solution, I realized. At 44 years old, which is how old I was when Jesse died, I didn't have these skills and tools. And I have learned them uh, through my work with the program. And I have to tell you, my life is exponentially better. Uh, it, It works in every aspect of your life. And our program includes information way uh, far above and beyond social and emotional learning to really move you towards having a a different type of awareness in your life and to to be able to feel more gratitude on a daily basis, to be able to forgive and to be able to step outside of your own busyness and distraction and even pain and suffering and help others. Literally to be able to have the awareness of skills, tools, and attitudes to be able to choose love in every situation, circumstance, and interaction. Because when we choose love in, in, those, uh, in a situation, interaction, we are taking our personal power back. We are adding value. We're making the world a better place. When we react in anger, hatred, and resentment, we are literally giving our power away. We are becoming victims and we are not adding value. And actually, it can be a choice. And here's the bottom line, making it very simple. love feels good, anger, hatred, and resentment feel bad. And we all want to feel good in our lives. And we're going to do it, honestly, in in only one of two ways. Um, And this is based on awareness and education. We're going to try to feel good, try to regain a sense of control through anger. Because, you know, let's admit it, anger feels good. You get a shot of adrenaline or maybe some self-righteous indignation. I'm right, you're wrong. 
But ultimately, prolonged anger is as bad as smoking two packs of cigarettes to us. We know that through science. And, uh, you know, we're going to try to feel good by bullying. Interestingly enough, I told you this wasn't just for kids. This is not kid-centric. This is human-centric. We we bully each other. And uh, why do we do that? We bully to try to off-put our pain, to try to regain some sense of control. Um, why do we do drugs? Any? Why does anybody do drugs? They're trying to feel good, reduce their anxiety, get high. Um, why do we even join gangs and terrorist organizations? You know, ultimately, we're looking for belonging. We're looking for love. So we're going to do it in a negative way. Or if we have the skills and tools, we're going to feel good through having positive relationships, meaningful connections, being able to identify, label, manage, and express our emotions, to be resilient to the issues that we know we're going to face in life, to be able to problem solve and, and resolve conflict. Um, these are all social emotional skills and tools that we have to learn. We just want everyone to have a choice in how they feel good. Oh, girl, you are just so much. I love you. Okay. So common sense, right? I mean, you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, it doesn't matter who you are, what side of the political spectrum you're on, any sort of perceived difference at all. I'm talking about kind of like universal human truths. And the interesting thing is we have to learn them and that's okay. But, you know, I think traditionally people have thought, well, that's the parent's job. Well, let me tell you something as a parent without these skills and tools, I can't give what I don't have. And, uh, and the thing is, these, these lessons are easy. <laughs> they're easy to teach. They're fun. Kids love them because they're not academic. And these are ways that they can, they can control a certain aspect of their life. You know, we, when, we, when we feel like we're out of control, it makes us feel anxious. It makes us feel frustrated. We get angry. And, and that's actually adults with some skills and tools. Think about kids and how they feel. And they don't have much control in their life. But there is something that we can all control. And that's how we respond in every situation. And we can always choose love in our response. Yes. So the, um, everything that you're talking about that you offer... Uh, our listeners can find at the website for the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Foundation, right? And we'll put that link in the show notes. Everything I'm talking about, you can direct your educators to the website. They can download the program right from the website. You can go on to our ambassador program. There's the Choose Love at Home program. You can start it right away in your own homes through this uh, no-cost video-based program. Everything's on the website. And you know, you said a very important word or maybe two words, no cost. Um, but the reality is all of this work has, um, needs funding, right? It's true. It's no cost to, to you all and the educators, but there mm -hmm. is actually a cost to us. And, you know, it's really interesting. Our, our largest donors are individuals and these are people that want to be part of the solution. And they believe in what we're doing in the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement and what we're providing. And so um, I'm so grateful. I feel like I have a huge connection and team of people all throughout the United States and even all throughout the world 
that uh, that is helping me on this mission. I don't feel like I'm doing it alone. And by the way, I just want to say within the last uh, less than three years, two and a half years, the program is now being taught in all 50 states and downloaded multiple times in over 67 countries. And I have to tell you, so we're a small organization. That is all by word of mouth. We, uh, we have not reached out. We haven't had to. We've had droves coming to us. And I think that that represents the tremendous need for what we're doing. But yes, we definitely need financial help. And so I appreciate you putting that out there as well. Yeah. Well, it's important for two reasons. First off, I think there's a lot of listeners who don't necessarily have a connection to their local school right now. Maybe their kids, you know, they don't have kids or they're just not in school and they're going to look to be a part of this at a deeper level. And the purpose of this podcast when I started at Scarlet was really that most of my tribe are entrepreneurs or are working but feeling like they want to do something with more purpose. And wealth and purpose is really about understanding the role that money plays and in the grander scheme of experiencing wealth and also living out our purpose. And one thing I want all of you listening to understand is when you're thinking about making more money in your businesses, I know if you're listening to this podcast, you don't, money's not important to you as a concept, right? But here's the thing. When we make more money, especially as women entrepreneurs, we contribute 90% of it to our communities. And and I really wanted Scarlett on right now because when this podcast goes live, it'll be December 12th. We'll be just two days away from this anniversary. Six years she has been doing this work and it's still not in every school. So please contribute financially contribute socially. And by that, I mean, please share the link to Scarlett's foundation on your social media. And please, 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 if you have um, a connection to your schools, ask them if they're using this curriculum. And then finally, go look at it because we all need this, obviously. Just Scarlett is such a strong example of when whatever is going on in your life, if you use these tools, look at the magic you can create in the world. Look at the miracles you can create. And Scarlett, that's why I just, I admire you at such a freaking deep level because I'm still amazed to this day that you have been able to do what you've been able to do in, in the shadow and the light of what happened. You know what? I feel so much tremendous gratitude for having been given this mission. Can you imagine knowing your purpose in life, knowing why you were put on earth, and, and having it be to spread a message of nurturing, healing, love, and then to, to, teach, to teach people how to choose love in every situation and circumstance. It's like it's, it's, been a, it's been an incredible gift. And the other thing that's a gift is, you know, we all also suffer, of course. Um, that's another thing that we all have in common. And um, when you connect with another human being on that level, on a heart, heartfelt level, on a, on a level of pain, that's a tremendous gift as well. And so I've gotten to know so many people on, on such a deep level. And that's been a tremendous gift to me as well. I, I just, everywhere I, 
I go, I see love and I'm greeted with love and, uh, and I'm trying to give that as well. So it's really, it really, really has been a tremendous blessing. I say that also, of course, I live with tremendous loss every single day. I don't know why that has to go or seemingly has to go hand in hand, but you know, I do, I do definitely miss Jesse every single day. I, I, I talk about like the loss of a child is kind of like a phantom pain. So you have an arm and say you lose your arm and uh, I've never done that, um, fortunately, but they say that your the actual arm continues to hurt. And I can't imagine that you don't always try to use that arm because you were born with it. It's a part mm-hmm. of you, you know, you reach for that coffee cup in the morning with your, with your arm and you feel this phantom pain. And I, I feel that about Jesse, although at the same time, um, I have to tell you that I also feel him very close, very near, and I know that he is helping with this organization because to be able to have done um, and accomplish what we've accomplished in the last uh, six years is really a miracle. And so I know that he's had a big part of that, opening doors and creating connections for me, and even with some of the funding that we've received. So I'm just grateful for that. And I'm grateful for all your listeners. Um, I always, I'm grateful for you, Patty, um, for you to continue to help me as well, spread the message. You and I have been connected for a couple of years now, and I appreciate all of your help that you've given me. Oh, well, (laughs) a drop in the bucket and, but such a pleasure. And Scarlett, the other thing I want to mention to, to the listeners is your book, Nurturing Healing Love, which if you felt intrigued by Scarlett's story that she shared a little bit about, and you really want to know more, she does a beautiful job telling it in this book. So you can get that on Amazon. We'll put that note in the, that link in the show notes. Scarlett, is there any last idea or words of wisdom or a call to action you want to leave the listeners with that's close to your heart? I think that what, what I would say is that there is no more important conversation, I believe, than the one that, that we've just had. And that is keeping our kids safe in schools um, and doing everything that we know for their health and well-being. I mean, we're responsible for our children. And we know that school shootings and, and, and a lot of the pain and suffering that's out there is preventable. We have a negative bias that we're born with. It's in our DNA. We scan for danger. I think some of the programming that we've created to address these issues focuses on the problem per our negative bias. And when you focus on something, it grows. I'm sure you and all of your listeners know that. So it really maybe shouldn't be a surprise that these issues have grown. But now we know through decades of research that there is this proactive preventative approach that can actually reduce and prevent the suffering before it starts. And, you know, this is something that we all have to take responsibility for. I think I fell in after Sandy Hook with a lot of people saying, oh my God, this is so horrible. This can't become our new normal. Obviously, our schools have to be safe havens for our children and educators. And I think six years later, we're realizing now that this is our new normal, that 
there is nobody out there that's going to take care of this for us. It's going to be us. We are going to have to take responsibility. We're going to have to be a part of the solution. And, you know, in the beginning, I stood up and I said, I take my part of the responsibility for what happened to Jesse in that classroom. Um, I know that nobody snaps. I know that it's a lifetime of pain, disconnection, isolation, suffering that leads somebody to do something like that. I know they're cultivated by their environment. I was in Adam Lance's environment. I, I don't think we ever cross paths, but I know how incredibly powerful each and every single one of us, every thought that impacts our feelings that then, then impacts our behavior ripples out to thousands of people. And so in that vein, and, and in order to become part of the solution, I had to take my part of the responsibility. And I hope that everyone will join me in that and, and help me with this solution. And, uh, and, and, and we can all together create a safer, more peaceful and loving world. Oh, beautiful. Well, I'm going to leave it with that, Scarlett. Thank you so much for taking this time with me. I know how busy you are and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Patty. Have a happy holiday. Thank you. You too. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wealth and Purpose Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found us. It fills my heart when I read a review and helps us reach many more people. So thank you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.